ladies are excited for your first ever Shine Conference for Real Women. Yeah, we are so excited about that. Just an additional thing to be able to pour into you, to equip you, to help you truly shine the way you deserve to shine for Jesus. Amen? Awesome. We are going to have an amazing, amazing morning with Maria. We already had a great breakfast, a great night last night, and the word that she has for you this morning is outstanding. I would ask you just to open your hearts to hear what she has to say from New York, New York. <laughs> That encompasses it all, right? <laughs> Why don't we welcome Maria to the stage? You know, I, I, as I'm walking up to the stage, I'm just thinking, God, what you can do with the life that had the worst beginning... And yet, at almost 68 years old, I could be standing here preaching God's word. I could imagine the angels in heaven when the father said he had a plan for his one and only son to give his life for people that were the worst of the worst, sinners. And I wonder if the angels behind God's back, although you can't do anything behind God's back, might have chuckled a little bit and thought to themselves, oh, that one never Never. It's like some of you parents, you don't ever think you're going to see your kids saved or serving the Lord. I have three sons, they're pastors, but when they were teenagers, they all spun out a bit out of control. And I used to pray for them and I would close my eyes and I thought the, the, the tighter I closed my eyes, the more I could envision them like raising their hands. But no matter how hard I close my eyes, I almost had an aneurysm. I couldn't even picture them like going like, I'm like, get it up, get it up. And now when I see them preaching the gospel all over the world, it's just mind-boggling. Before I speak, I do want to pray for this church. I really sense in my spirit that there are amazing things coming, that the best is yet to come. And God has plans for this church. There's not everywhere that you see that it's multi-gender, multi-racial, multi-age. Uh, you're all together. There's the warmth. There's the very presence of the Lord in your midst. And you know what? We don't want to be um, naive enough to not think that the enemy also doesn't have a plan. Because when God has a plan, the enemy has plans. And there's always going to be some sort of opposition. But we could pray because the battle belongs to the Lord's. And many of these battles can be averted if you're all in together to really believe what God has for this church and for the campus that you're opening. I hear it's in a neighborhood that really needs to hear the gospel. I mean, what neighborhood doesn't really need to hear the gospel? Park Avenue needs the gospel. Madison Avenue needs the gospel. The World Trade Center area needs the gospel. This area needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. So allow me to pray for even the, um, the people that they are coming to inspect the buildings, that God would give you favor favor, 
favor, favor. God, we pray for the favor of God upon the inspection. We pray for the favor of God upon living hope in the name of Jesus, oh God. We bind the enemy and every single demonic strategy, God, that he might have to thwart the work of the Lord from going forward. But in the name of Jesus, oh God, we are asking that you open up the windows of heaven and there would be so many souls saved, oh God that they would have to do multiple, multiple, multiple services, oh Lord God. I pray, God, that you would shield them against gossipers and against people that come to cause division in the name of Jesus, oh God. They're not welcome here, Lord God. We just give ourselves for the work of the Lord, and we say, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, pour your spirit out like never before. In Jesus' most precious name, and everybody said, so be it. Amen and amen. Yeah, I still got a little bit of fire left in me. Um, have you ever read a scripture in God's word, and you had a total misunderstanding of what that scripture really meant? Anybody, let me see your hands, and you misunderstood the scripture for years, and when you heard people preach the scripture, they had a misunderstanding of the word, and for some reason, them preaching it irritated you. You felt kind of like yesterday's leftovers. Anybody ever feel like that? Now, I'm the kind of person that if, if, if God, the Holy Spirit, says to me, jump, I say, how high? I'm usually not a person that stiffens my neck or argues with the Holy Spirit. But this particular scripture really got underneath my skin. Until I read it not too long ago from the New Living Translation, and all of a sudden, those words became alive to me, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, do a study on it. And it comes from Mark 2.22, chapter 2.22. You're just going to look on the screens. It says, new wine calls for new wineskins. New wine calls for new wineskins. Now, when I first heard this preached years ago when I was first saved, I loved this scripture. I was the new kid on the block. I was ready to receive the new wine. I had a new wineskin. But now that I'm not so young, I, I resented it. I, I felt pushed out. I kind of felt useless and disposable. Uh, I felt like God could only use people that wore skinny jeans. That's right. I had skinny jeans on last night. I have skinny leggings on today. I say, God, if that's what it takes, I'm going to put Crisco on my legs. I am going to pull up those pants, Lord, because I want to be filled with the new wine. But for years, I started to feel like older saints had an expiration date, as though God couldn't fill Christians that have been around the block a few times, that this new wine was only reserved for the young. But on the other hand, I knew that God used 
old people. I, I, I look in the Bible and I look at Abraham and Sarah and he was 75 years old when God first called him. So it's never too late. He was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 when they had their son. Imagine that the promise was for, for, fulfilled at 190. He lived 120 years. Elizabeth had John the Baptist at 88 years old. Moses was 80 when he first saw the burning bush. And Enoch walked with God for 365 years. And Methuselah, 900 39 years. So this shows me that God isn't about young or old. And neither was the scripture. Had nothing to do with uh, uh, age or culture. It wasn't old versus young. It's fresh versus stale. The English Standard Version says new wine calls for fresh wineskins. Now, let's put this scripture in context. When Jesus was giving this scripture, he was speaking to the religious people, those that had been around the block for a long time. They had their traditions. They had their ways. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes along, and they don't recognize that the winds of heaven are changing, and God wants to do a new thing. Now, I always thought that it was the sun that determined the seasons, but it's not the sun, it's the winds. Do you know that the winds, the jet stream, pushes out the air and it allows for either a warmer or a colder jet stream to flow and then you're in a new season. So here these are these religious people and the God that they serve or, 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 or they supposedly serve is standing right in front of them. This God that they study day and night about, they wore these phylacteries on their hat, which signified the word of God. And yet he's standing right in front of them and they don't recognize that God is doing a new thing. Now, we know with the seasons, when there's a change of seasons, there's a change of clothes, right? The thing that kept you alive in January, it will suffocate you in July. And they didn't recognize. They were now suffocating. The thing that kept them alive, serving God, is now suffocating them. And they don't realize that there has to be a change. The new wine was about to be poured out. Heaven's winds were shifting. Uh, now, the word new, as in new wine, is the word neo, N-E-O in the Greek. And it literally means brand new, brand new outpouring, brand new infillings, brand new in, 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 uh, empowerment, brand new seasons of anointing, brand new Holy Spirit intoxications, brand new. There's no man-made elixir. There's no man-made concoction. No program can replace the new wine. There's no substitute for it. And the apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, 18, he's speaking about this new wine. He says, don't get drunk on wine. Don't get drunk on earthly substitutions. 
He says, instead, there's a choice, and it's a command. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the new wine. And that scripture implies to be continually filled up. Uh, God wants to pour out. God wants to fill his people from on high with this brand new wine that man cannot substitute. Man cannot uh, uh, create by its own. And because just like someone is intoxicated, it's imperative that we're filled with the Holy Spirit because when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you walk different, you talk different, you think different, you see things differently. Now the word new as in new wine skins, even though it's the same word, it's a totally different meaning in the Greek. And that word comes is, in the Greek is the word kainos, K-A-I-N-O-S. And it means fresh, fresh, refreshed, revived, rejuvenated, reinvigorated. And this is stating that something that already exists on the earth can be revived, refreshed, rejuvenated. It could be made strong again. So what this is saying, that, on, that only a fresh, revived, reinvigorated, regenerated wine skin can receive the new wine. So all this to say is that if you're not careful with your wine skin, you're going to become stale even though you're young or even though you're old. So you could be young and, and stale and old and fresh or vice versa. Look at Mary, Mary's life, Jesus's mother Mary. Here she is, she's about to be married and the angel interrupts her life and appears to her and tells her she's going to carry the, the Messiah. She is going to carry the Son of God. Here she is, she's a young teen, but she has a fresh wineskin. And because she has a fresh wineskin, she's allowing heaven, the new wine, to come in and interrupt her life. Look at Samuel from a young age. He's, he's in the temple and he hears a voice and he says, speak, Lord. Your servant listens. But in his old age, the Bible says that not a word that Samuel ever spoke fell to the ground. We know that Mary, Jesus' mother, in the beginning was impregnated with him by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we see in the book of Acts that she's waiting in the upper room because she was careful to keep her wineskin refreshed, revived, rejuvenated. I want us to look at Elisha's life. And um, in 2 Kings 13, Elisha is already serving God for 63 years. Now, remember the prophet Elijah, which was Elisha's predecessor. He's in the, uh, uh, he walked himself a day's journey into the desert. He is depressed. Jezebel just uh, 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 threatened his life. Elisha is so discouraged. His wineskin has shriveled up. 
and he's in the desert and the Bible says he leaves his servant behind and he walks a day's journey into the desert. Let me tell you something. A day's journey alone, you could get very far into the wilderness. Don't ever send yourself into the wilderness on your own because you will be prey for the enemy. And here God in his mercy, he sends an angel and he says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And because Elijah thought he was the only one, he kept saying, I'm the only, I'm the only. Just like us, we walk a day's journey into the wilderness. We think we're the only one going through some stuff. We're the only one feeling the way we feel. We're the only one whose prayers God hasn't answered. And the angel kept telling him, no, no, you're not the only. There are 7,000 others that haven't uh, bowed their knee. And he tells him, get up and go back and do what a prophet does. Go back and anoint. And he gives him three people to anoint. And one of the people he gives him to anoint is uh, Elisha. And when he finds Elisha, uh, the Bible tells us that Elisha is working um, in his father's field. As a matter of fact, some translations say he's working hard. And which speaks to me that if you want God to use you, your life, God uses people that work hard. Work ethic is a very important thing to God. Many people want to be used by God, and they think God is going to use them by sitting in their room. No, no, get out and work. Get out and serve. Serve in the church. You might be the top singer, but nobody knows that. Well, be a host. Be a hostess. Be somebody in the parking lot. God knows how to get us to where we need to be. Otherwise, when you come to church and you're just waiting on God, you become a spectator. And what do spectators do? They become critics. And they, they like the people in the stands, oh, he shouldn't have missed that ball. Oh, he should have, you know, he should have slid home. Oh, he, you know, oh, what? you got to be working hard. And Elisha is working hard. The Bible says that he was plowing the ground with 12 yoke of oxen. That's 24 oxen. So Elisha was strong, and he's plowing his father's land. He's working for his father. we got to be around about our father's business. He's plowing the ground. And it goes to show you that his father was very lucrative. The father had a lot of money. This was a big family business. But as soon as Elijah comes and takes his coat off and places it on Elijah, Elijah is all in. In a second, the Bible says that he burns the 24 oxen. He takes the wooden plow. He uses that as fire to roast the, the oxen, to make a whole a barbecue for the whole town. He is, he is saying to the town, he's publicly stating, I'm burning my livelihood. I'm, I'm burning my britches. I'm sure that they're looking at him and thinking, what the heck are you doing, Elijah? But he's like, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I don't have a contingency plan. I don't have a what if this thing doesn't work out. A just in case. 
We counsel a lot of people. They get married. They're supposed to be all in, but they're keeping digits from other relationships. It's the just in case. They have separate banks, bank accounts just in case. They have prenups just in case. Anytime you go into anything with the just in case attitude, believe me, there are just in case uh, will arise and you will go back to the old way. But we don't go back. We are all in. We've decided to follow Jesus. We've been bought with the price, with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we are going to be all in. It doesn't matter what the culture is doing. It doesn't matter what your friends are doing. It doesn't matter what the magazines are telling you to do. We are all in. We are fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's what Elijah was doing. His eyes were fixed. He was going to go forward. I, I, I was telling the church last night that when we got saved, uh, you know, the night we went to the altar, no one ever told us. We went home. We were living together. We separated the mattresses. We threw out the drugs, the drug paraphernalia, the magazines, the music, the clothes. We threw it down the incinerator. We didn't have to go through 30 years of discipleship classes and read the four spiritual laws and then ponder and think, oh, is this wrong? No, the Holy Spirit convicted us. And the Holy Spirit is as alive in 2018 as he was in 1975, as he was in the book of Acts. So we throw out everything. We get married on a rainy Monday in City Hall. We are all in. But I loved to dance, and I started to go to clubs when I was like 12 years old. I found a club opened on a Sunday. I've been in the uh, centerfold of the Daily News for dancing. You know, clubs like Studio 54 and the Limelight and all of that kind of stuff. So I threw out all my music, but on Saturday, when I was home, I would put on Soul Train. I don't know if you have Soul Train, <laughs> Don Cornelius. I would put on Soul Train, and that was like my just in case. I had a like. And one day, after about six weeks, the Holy Spirit said to me, Maria, what are you doing? Like he said to Elijah, what are you doing? What are you doing? Get up. Turn that thing off. You are never going to go back to those clubs. You are never going to dance in those places. You're going to dance in one place. You're going to dance in the sanctuary of the Lord God Almighty because I've chosen you. Now, in 2 Kings 13, if you read the story, Elisha, Elisha, yes, isn't that awful? Elijah, Elisha, Elisha. Not easy when you're old either. So... <laughs> Elisha is serving the Lord 63 years. It's 63 years since that mantle, that coat, the anointing was placed on him. And he is still, he's on his deathbed, but he's still all in. He hasn't lost his faith, his fire, or his focus. He is like 100% 
on his deathbed because it doesn't matter what's going on on the outside. The inside, the new wine skin is totally revived. And the king of Israel, his name was King Jehoash. King Jehoash wasn't all in. And he depended on Elisha to hear from God on behalf of the people of Israel. Now, Elisha was trying to mentor this guy for the longest, but the guy was satisfied, like some of us were satisfied with the pastors hearing from God. If they hear from God, then I don't have to read my Bible. If they pray for me, then I don't have to pray for myself. And the young king, Jehoash, goes into the, the room where Elisha is laying, he's dying, and he's weeping, he's crying. And, he, and all of a sudden, King Jehoash sees this chariot and these charioteers, and they're coming to take Elisha home. I am sure it was the same chariot, same charioteers that Elisha saw 63 years before when they came to take Elijah home. But Elisha is not ready to leave. So he practically tells the chariot, look, hold up, hold up. I'm not ready to go. I'm, I, I got some anointing to pass on. I got to mentor this guy. I can't go with things left in this situation. He's basically telling King Jehoash, stop it. It's not time to weep. It's time to war. I want to give this king the strategy for warfare. The, the, the king, the, 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 the prophet is more alive on his deathbed than the king is in his prime. And he tells the king, he said, remember the story? He says, take the arrow. He says, open the window. In other words, don't have anything between you and the enemy. Open the window. And he says, point at the direction you want victory in. And he says, take the bow and arrow. He says, and start to, to pull back the bow and get to where the ground needs to be struck. But King Jehoash, because it's not easy to, to use a bow and arrow. It takes a lot of strength. He only does it three times. And Elisha gets so upset at him. He says, why did you only strike the ground three times? It's like intercession. It's not easy. And God is saying, why are you quitting? You see, Elisha doesn't know the language of quit. He is so like outraged. The guy quits after three times. He says, you know what? Then that's all God is going to give you. That's all God's going to give you. His wineskin is shriveled up. And, and Elisha, he has so much anointing in him. Remember the story in 2 Kings 4. Remember that woman who he prophesied year be, years before. She would give him a room. And, and, and she, he told her, you're going to have a baby. And years later... Uh, Elisha is visiting again, and the woman's child dies in the room. And the woman knows she's got to get to the prophet. So they ask her on the way, how's everything? She says, all is well. And when she finally gets to the prophet, she tells him, the boy, why did you promise me this boy? He's lying dead in the room, and Elijah sends his protege, Gehazi. 
And he gives Gehazi his staff. And he says, go and lay your hands on the boy. And Gehazi does exactly what he's told. He's imitating Elisha, but he doesn't have Elisha's anointing. He doesn't have Elisha's uh, uh, zeal. His wineskin is also all shriveled up, which goes to tell me you can imitate prayers, but God doesn't answer imitated prayers. God answers simple prayers. It could be, God, help me, but it has to be filled with faith, believing God for an answer. So he, he, he goes in the room, Gehazi goes in the room, he lays the staff on the boy, and the boy is dead. And you know what? Gehazi's just like King Jehoash. He's satisfied with the answer. Oh, well, God didn't answer. He goes back to Elijah. He says, you know what? God hasn't answered. That boy is dead. And Elisha's like, give me that staff. And he goes in the room, and the Bible says he shuts the door. Sometimes you got to shut the door to people's comments. You got to shut the door to all the negative stuff. You got to shut the door to all the doubt and unbelief. And the Bible says that Elisha does something so crazy. He gets on top of that dead boy. He doesn't pray some little prayer. He gets on top of that boy and he starts to go eye to eye and mouth to mouth and he just stretches himself out. And the Bible says all of a sudden the boy's body starts to grow warm. But you know what? Elijah doesn't quit at warm. He's not satisfied with warm. The Bible says he gets back up. He walks around the room and he goes back and he lays himself back on the boy and he starts to pray over him and all of a sudden the boy opens his eyes and he sneezes seven times he did not know the language of quit he's so anointed that even when he dies they throw this other dead guy in Elijah's grave and when the dead guy hits the bones of Elisha the guy comes to life because the anointing never dies we got the anointing to pass on to other people never dies. I don't understand these Christians that serve God and then they retire. Retire from what? Retire from what? Did God create us to play golf in our 70s? I don't think so. I don't think so. Nothing wrong in playing golf, but you got a legacy to carry on. You got a lot of anointing in you. You got the strategy for warfare inside of you, and it's about time you pass it on to someone else. Our anointing has quickening power even when we're gone. Our words have quickening power even when we're long gone. The things we've said, the things we've done, our actions, it lives on. Look at Caleb in his old age. He's 85 years young. And he says to Joshua, give me the hill country. Give me the hardest place. They could take the easy Land. Some of them were looking for the easy place. They were looking for the place where they could grow their little vegetable garden. But Caleb says, give me the hill country. Give me the place where the enemy hides. And this is what he says in Joshua. He says, today I'm 85 years old. I am as strong today as I was when Moses sent me on that journey. I could still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me 
the hill country. Give me what God has promised. I am not going to close my eyes until I see God give me everything he has promised. In Numbers 14, 24, it says that that Caleb had a different spirit. His spirit was constantly refreshed, constantly revived, constantly rejuvenated. Therefore, it was able to hold the new wine. Maybe that young lady that was playing the keyboard, maybe you can help me. He was drinking from a fountain that never runs dry. There's no reason for us to ever be dry. Because God always wants to pour out new wine. He just needs a container, a receptacle, a vessel that is, that is ready to receive what he wants to pour out. The problem isn't with God. The problem's with us. We need to celebrate people that have weathered a storm or two. People in your midst, leaders the senior pastors for decades fighting battles that you will never ever know about, crying over situations, your situations, leaders here that have stood with them. We need to celebrate those people that have not lost their faith or their fire or their focus. So what exactly is a wineskin? A wineskin is a vessel that's fashioned to hold wine. And coincidentally, a wineskin is the same shape as the organ of the heart. And the purpose of the wineskin is to carry wine wherever it went. It was joy for the journey. And a healthy wineskin is pliable. It's expandable. It's supple. It has give. It makes room to expand because the new wine always ferments. And it's the new wine poured in in a healthy wineskin. The healthy wineskin is able to make room for the new wine so that it won't pour out. Symbolically, our wineskin, it's our inner man. It's our spirit. Our spirit was created to carry around the new wine, the new wine of the gospel, the new wine of the good news. And wine symbolized joy, joy for the journey. My inner man was created to bubble up, carrying around the joy of the Lord wherever I go because the joy of the Lord is my strength. No joy, no strength. No strength, I shrivel up on the inside. Now, wineskin facts. In order to keep a wineskin healthy, because it went out on the road, on the journey of life, dirt would settle inside of the wineskin. The sediment would settle to the bottom. The new wine, the bits of it would just settle to the bottom. And what that person had to do if they wanted to keep their wineskin in good condition, they would have to go home and they would have to thoroughly cleanse it. They would have to keep pouring water until all the sediment was lifted and poured out. Just like us, when we, life happens 
and we could get dry, the sediment of life, the discouragement, it settles to the bottom of our spirit. But we got to go to God's Word and read it until it lifts us up. Sometimes we just got to live in the Psalms and we have to say, God, lift all this dirt out of me because if you don't, I'm going to shrivel up and my joy is going to be gone. And instead of walking around with a wineskin filled with joy, I'm going to walk around with the wineskin full of bitterness. And when people knock into me, what's going to come out is going to be discouragement and negativity. But not only did they have to wash the wineskin with the water, like we have to wash our wineskin with the water of the word. It's so important, guys. You got to read the word of God on your own. They also had to take this oil and they had to rub it in this, in this, uh, in all the bends and all the, the cracks and all the crevices of the wineskin. And they would keep rubbing this oil and rubbing this oil until all the folds came out and it plumped back up again and it became supple. Just like us. We don't only want to read the Word of God, but we want the Holy Spirit. We want the presence of the Lord to revive us, to bring us back to life. The psalmist says this, where it says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. The original Hebrew says, you fertilized my head with oil. You nourished me for growth. And that, that oil starts to restore the cracked places, the broken places, because we all get cracked. We all get broken. We all shrivel up. We all get afraid. We all get doubt. Oh, but God has given us the means, his presence, to just rub that. You know, Paul was a tent maker. And when he said, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, there's such a better way. Instead, be filled with the new wine. Because he was a tent maker, how did you get tents? You, you skin the hide of an animal. And the height of an animal is very stiff. There's no give to it. So what they would do is they would get a vat of boiling oil. And they would put the hide inside of the oil. And as the hide was boiling, when the hide came out, now it had stretchability. And that's like us. The hide is our heart. And our heart does shrivel up, doesn't it? It says, I can't do that. I'm not going to give that. I don't have time for that. I'm not going to love them. They're not like me. But then we're in the boiling oil of God's presence. And then we come out. And now the heart is supple. And they go, give me the hill country. Oh, no, I could do that. Oh, no, I could love them. Oh, no, it doesn't matter that I wasn't a prostitute. I could witness to them. Oh, no, it's a, it doesn't matter that I never knew uh knew them. I, I, I could go and show kindness to them. We got to be soaking in the oil of the Lord because that oil is where we get our strength from because when the wineskin is neglected, it becomes stiff and hard. And when we don't get a good soaking in God's word, when we don't allow the oil to saturate our inner man, we shrivel up and we shrink. And what happens? Fear replaces faith. And works replace great grace. And we look like sour prunes. 
let's face it, if we're not soaking, we're soaking. And our spirit becomes incompatible with the new wine. Oh, here God's doing something in our midst. And we've lost our joy. We haven't soaked. We're resistant. We're resistant. And here God wants to spread. And you're there and you're... You stop the move of God because you've neglected the very thing that God has put you in charge of. Your heart, your wineskin. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4.16. He says, though the outward man is growing old, though the outward man is decaying, though the outward man is perishing, Though the outward man is just like Elisha was on his deathbed, even though I have some lumps and bumps and wrinkles and crinkles and stuff I didn't have years ago, he says, the inward man, I can't help what goes on in the outward man, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. The inward man, I'm drinking this new wine and I got a party going on inside. The new man, he says, I'm like a six foot runway model. I'm standing tall and I'm walking forward. Listen, the world should want to drink of what we're drinking. Just like in a bar, they say, what are you drinking? People on your job should say, what are you drinking? I want to drink of what you're drinking. We don't need an old time religion. We need a fresh outpouring. And the world needs us to be intoxicated. They need us to be filled up with that new wine, the new wine of grace and joy unspeakable and full of glory. Isaiah 40, 29, it says he gives power to the weak. You don't have to stay weak. And then it goes on to say, this is how he gives it, those that wait upon the Lord. Those that get in his word. Those that soak in the oil of his presence. Those that wait upon the Lord. He will renew their strength. He will make new. He will revive. He will invigorate. He will uh, uh, regenerate their strength and they will mount up. Oh, you think you're tired now? Wait on me. By this afternoon, you're going to want to run a marathon in the spirit. And I don't know about you. I believe you're like me. I want to die with as much anointing as I had when I first accepted Christ almost 43 years ago. Joel and Acts says this, I will pour out. Oh, God wants to pour out his spirit. He wants to pour out the new wine on all flesh. There are young people here. You have yet to prophesy, but you're going to prophesy. You have yet to see visions, but God wants you young men to see visions in the spirit that will totally turn around this generation and the culture in the name of Jesus. He wants the old men and the old women that are napping while we're napping. We're going to dream dreams. We're going to dream his dreams going to dream his dreams. We're going to be filled to overflowing. How many tonight would or today would say, God, pour it out. Pour it out, God. I want to have a refreshed wineskin. I want to be invigorated. 
I want to be renewed. I want to be refreshed. If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet because I believe that God is about to do something in this earth. And I'm not just saying this. The winds of heaven are shifting and God is about to do something new. That's why we're seeing the pains of childbirth. The devil thinks he has the last word, but God is about to pour out his spirit and he needs every single one of us to be revived every single one of us to take care of the very place he's put us so that we will recognize the winds and if we have to change our clothes if we got to change our opinions gone with our opinions God pour your spirit out pour your spirit come on let's raise our hands Let's ask the Lord to pour out his spirit. Come on, let's sing to him a new song. Oh, God, pour out your spirit, Lord. Pour out your spirit, God. We're not ashamed. We're not ashamed. Revive us, God. Oh, take all the sediment out, Lord. Take anything that's settled in our heart that would cause the new wine to leak out. We want to be filled, oh God, again and again and again and again. Pour your spirit out, Lord. Pour your spirit out in Canada, in Hamilton, oh Lord. Pour your spirit out in living hope, oh God. Let the glory of the Lord visit this place like never before, God. We're your containers, God. We're your vessels, Lord. Oh, fill us up, God. Fill us up, God. We want to overflow, Lord. We want people to bump into us. And we want to leak onto them. We want them to look at us and say, I want what you have. You're different. What do you have that I don't have? Oh, I have the new wine. Oh, I have a fresh filling from heaven. Oh, he's filling me up. I have joy for the journey in the name of Jesus. Oh, in the name of Jesus. God's spoken to me. He told me there are people here, you've lost your joy. You used to have so much joy and life happened. And that stuff just settled. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. We want to pray for you. Yes, 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 yes. Many, many hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, replenish their joy, oh God. Replenish their joy, oh God. Oh Lord, let them know, God, that you are going to work out every detail of their life, oh Lord. God, fill them with fresh faith and fresh fire, Lord Jesus, like never before, God. We don't want to lose our faith or our fire or our focus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name that is above every name. The name of Jesus. Oh, do something mighty, oh God. Do something mighty, Lord. Oh God, we want to be in the oil of your presence, Lord. Rub out all the pain 
all the heartache, all the cracked places, all the dry places, Lord. Send the oil of the Holy Spirit, oh God. Revive us, oh Lord. Revive your church, oh God. Revive your church and use us, Lord, for your glory and for your honor. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Pastor, we give you the glory and the honor. Let's just stay in an attitude of prayer.